0: You are now listening to Well Well Philly Like, Oh my god.
1: Did she just murder him? <laughs> oh no, it's perfect.
0: <laughs> yes, massadri! Oh poor man. Ladies' serial killers are the best. Well she's never gonna get that stain out. Nothing says it's over like running over your ass. It had to be a woman. It had to have been a woman. Are you wearing it? Wait, how big were her breasts? <laughs>
1: What's up, motherfuckers? Hey. We're coming to you live again from Ronatine with another <laughs> snack bite for Killer
0: Knees. How y'all bitches doing? Uh, hopefully uh, better than most. I want to say that we're the only ones feeling above average. Oh, week. not just you, Eve. <laughs> Eve. That's why you play the song. All this stuff about me
1: Why won't they just let me live This is to all the article writers Who say why is Eve so likable Why is Eve being being so horrible To her husband
0: What's going on with her I
1: think Bobby talked about it years ago
0: But, but I, really I don't really don't care. care.
1: <laughs> that's my prerogative, <laughs> and this really applies to last they episode. Nasty. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't give a damn. Get getting girls, but that's just Villanelle. How I live. Some, Some ask me questions. questions. Why, Why am I so real? Yeah, what's that smell? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no. no. They, they don't know what's going on with Eve. And honestly, I would just like to say y'all people got to see the future of Darcy Rising if you don't understand why Sandra O's Eve is carrying on the way she does. And, but this is the energy on, Eve has, the bitter pill. Why won't well, they, they just let me tell live? Me why? I don't need no mission, my I own
0: decisions. decisions. And she thought that's she was for slick. I what? loved it. She no. thought she was slick. Oh, she really did. I, That's why I'm not home. It's the way that I am to But where the deal. birthday cake got delivered. At a place you don't even work. You don't even know the book. <laughs> so that means it's that somebody knew that you was there. You know what a bitch want to sing? It's my prerogative.
1: <laughs> okay? You want to chase a woman?
0: i do it for you.
1: So, yeah, guys, we just had to do this motherfucking intro for Eve Palastri because people week to week seem really confused and disgusted by Eve Palastri's behavior. And I feel like are we the only two in the universe besides y'all who are like, hashtag Dark Eve Rising, hashtag Dark Eve Rising. This is what we need. We need a quote unquote unlikable Eve to go where we're trying to go, which is the murder baptism. Am I right or am I right?
0: I mean, I just love every moment she's on screen and I don't get why people are like up, but I don't get what she's doing. I don't get why she's feeling this way. I don't get. Well, I mean, why is she? Why is she so cruel? <laughs> why, why? why? Just, I mean, I feel like she's being herself.
1: No, she is being herself. <laughs> and when people point out these, or rather, the non-nice stuff about Eve, I'm like, but if you if you look back, you will see that that's been Eve this entire fucking time. Mm-hmm. The only difference is is that she has less buffers. She doesn't have a Lena. She doesn't have a Kenny. She doesn't have a bell. And now she doesn't have a Nico. And so it's getting more and more obvious that she's kind of a motherfucking derelict, That she's kind of a a shitty person. But that doesn't mean that we still can't love the shitty person through and through. Because, well, that's how we're living our lives and also misandry.
0: Misandry! <laughs> right. She may says, be a little chaotic, but you know what? She's she's chaotic, she's, but she has goals. Right. She has <laughs>
1: goals. She has goals. And I'm here for all those goals, including the murder baptism. So, yeah. Like most songs that come to my mind for Killing Eve, it just hit me in a blinding moment of light where I literally heard Bobby Brown, it's my prerogative, as I saw Eve eating bears, Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> <laughs> He was like, "Bitch, what about you?" Could ask for that? She's like, "I could, I could, but that's not said. <laughs> Whether in her
0: boy boxer briefs,
1: still cute, <laughs> right. still cute, in those
0: briefs, or oh, Bryce, with all so. of her luggage in a country not her own for well, some reason,
1: wow! Well, it could all fit into a tote. So you know,
0: <laughs> they say life comes at you fast, but it really, man, does. It really does. Man, that was fast. Uh, what we'll do is, um, what we'll do, really, Terrence, really. Is that, that what you're doing?
1: I feel like you're trying to take us to corrections, which you should, because my musings are out of control this episode. So we just need to fly through the corrections and revelations so we can get to the insanities. Fast, right. Fred.
0: Let's do these corrections. Let's do this shit.
1: It's the correction segment. Wow, did we totally fuck that up? Did we?
0: I mean, I hope that did. did I think we did. did we,
1: yeah. Uh, Aww. And this is why we have snack episodes. All
0: right, so starting off on corrections on my side. I have, oh. You're the mm. only one with
1: corrections. I don't have another one this week. Oh, congratulations. I am firmly living in musings. I mean, it doesn't mean I don't have one in life. <laughs> this means yeah. I've completely neglected to look into it, to write notes on it, to address it. This was a, Sorry,
0: guys. This was a, f- a feverish uh, undertaking. But um, the first correction, which kind of can be also a revelation correction, is just that we didn't really go over the two deleted moments that were that aired. So, in the first commercial break, what we get is a flash forward in the episode, and maybe not in the timeline, depending on how you're reading the order of events. And it's Eve Palastri with her bags and a bit of pill going, Choices. It's all about Choices. And that's all we get all from the about first choices. The first uh, deleted moment. The second, though, is another Eve deleted moment. And this is with her and, I, her and Jamie, because I was about to call him Paul. Her and Paul. And um, it's him after he shows her to her you know, uh, temporary room with the bunk beds Uh, and him handing her a brochure, takeout menu and telling her to order for the two of them, her, and she's paying for it. And she does this thing where she's looking at him like, and then he notices that she notices what he has on. So he looks down and he's like, oh, you're into my, uh," he had like these, I guess, comfortable I would call them like acro yoga kind (laughs) of uh, trousers. Oh, dear. Like they were, you know, loose fitting. I don't know. Genie MC Hammer-esque. Maybe not like. (laughs) But they were like, you know, indoor pants ultimately. And then they're like, oh, you like these pants or whatever. And then they cut after that as well. It was a throwaway scene. But it was a deleted moment that did happen that we didn't cover. So. And other than that, the other... Let's see. Oh, I think that's it. Oh, oh, wait. oh didn't you
1: have... I feel like there was, you had two and, corrections. Right. Her.
0: And the other correction would be that I was hoping in the earliest next episode... Wishing that, and hoping. Right. Despite that, the um, insanity. Even though so many things happened in episode four, which marks the 50% point of the season, we are now halfway completed and there's nothing but... The training wheels are off for me for the rest of the season. They need to just be like non-stop well I won't say nonstop, stop but to keep in line with what I was asking for in the snack episode I was hoping that we'd have gotten a lot more of Eve and maybe Dasha in this episode for like I was hoping for the bowling scene in this episode that did not happen um and I also said that I kind of wanted Actually, this is a correction to come because oh. the way this is looking, it looks like this that I that may not all get your the ballroom. Go when I try in to, tell episode you to stop your
1: There's you go now, now, never going to stop. It may not happen. And then you out here in a correction segment every week,
0: week to week. So now I'm putting the ballroom in episode six.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: for another future correction. In yes, two weeks. for another, well, that is true. For another you live your future life, correction. Do it, but that will wrap up. uh... That will wrap up our corrections. Great, segment.
1: great, good. Thanks for that. Those are just your ghostries. Now let us, let's move on, shall we?
0: Right. Let's hop over. While we hopping? You hop, See? I twerk. I'm right. a twerk to Revelation. She's going to twerk. We're, we're <laughs> going to make our ways over make it our to, way. revelations. <laughs> to Revelations.
1: Killing Eve, Revelations. <laughs> Yo, did that really just fucking happen? I'm dead. <laughs> All right, Daddy-o, why don't you start us off, eh? Uh,
0: so I'll lead with this CNN article um, that basically told us that the Killing Eve murders are inspired by real crimes. Actual crimes? Hashtag misandry. So, uh, let's see. Um, oh, okay. So the uh, BBC security correspondent Gordon Correra appeared on Obsessed with Killing Eve and that's how um got oh, it. the
1: podcast. Yeah. Oh, right.
0: So they collaborated with the scriptwriters to provide novel killing methods for the show, which I think was actually pretty pretty brave. I literally went away, this is the quote. I literally went away and I wrote this document called The Kill List, which is somewhere on my laptop, which is basically a load of different ways to kill people, but just slightly crazy quirky ways. Uh, <laughs> uh, according to Carrera, the ideas he carefully curated range from things that happened 50 years ago to stories he heard about in the news. It's a great read, this article. I just wanted to make sure that I highlight. Oh, here we are. When he, he was asked about his favorite murder on the show, Carrera spoke about season one's assassination of the Fragrance Mogul. Uh, mogul. Uh, Carol. Mogul. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Fragrance <laughs> Mogul. Sorry, that sounds like something that belongs in the Harry Potter universe. Yes.
1: Moguls. No moguls no allowed.
0: Carla de Man, who was killed by Villanelle using a poisonous homemade perfume uh, that had come from a real one, an assassination in an airport in Asia. Wow. They was out here. They was out here. Uh, acts if uh, beautiful full-time assassins exist in real life. Carrara said that while it sounds like a work of fiction, it is very much a reality. Uh, so- but I
1: don't know why anyone would doubt it when literally there were women acting as honey traps to get Nazi soldiers during World War II. So- Women have been out here doing the Lord's work, hashtag the masandry work, for decades. I would even say centuries. So, duh, duh. I, that I think... there are spies and people. I would say for every country, for every country with a budget, there is a fucking spy. Because isn't that kind of what you do? You're like, I need information. You, go over there. Go get if it. If
0: your question ultimately boils down to, do ladies do that? Just accept the answer is yes. And don't ask the question. I
1: remember Phoebe mentioned last year or whatever season 1 that the actual Villanelle imprint she took inspiration from was from a real life murder woman who had confessed to like torturing and dismembering a dude who was a snitch like it wasn't even off like oh you did something horrible to me or someone i know it was like you're a snitch and snitches get stitches but you can't get stitches bro because i'm gonna dismember you and you can't stitch what i'm about to do (laughs) and what i loved about that crime and i looked it up after phoebe mentioned it was that she was that she admitted to it It was kind of like the other masandry woman who was like i kill men at the height of climax (laughs) and you're like wow That she was fine with it. She was cool with it. She admitted to it. And when she reminisced, she was like, actually, bitch, if I could torture him for a week instead of three days, that's what I would prefer to have done. (laughs) I believe her name was Angela Simpson, if you guys are curious about it. But she's a murderer who is in jail somewhere in some state because she totally was convicted for killing a man. And again, I... I know that there are real things in life that require ethical considerations and quandaries. I just have to tell you, with how dark and dire the world is, one thing Candace will never do is waste my spoons, my emotional spoons, on misandry crimes. Don't have the time. Sorry to that man. Whoever that man is.
0: Right. Whoever. Right.
1: All right, well, I'll hit you guys with one of my quick, short revelations. And um, it really is that Nico must have never checked his text from Eve, period, despite her desperate attempts to get a response, because if he had, he'd have seen Dasha's bullshit. Because from what we see from Dasha, she never deletes from the thread that she sent the text. So that's some kind of confidence to know that Eve is going to be ignored, that you just leave the actual text you sent in the outbox that Nico could have seen and been like, hey, what's this? who sent this text message? That's weird, but that never happens. And that's because Nico was officially and truly and fully done with Eve that he never fucking opened the thread. They were unread. And what's weird about that is, Eve, don't you see when the thing is read? Or maybe Nico actually turned off his read receipts. That could have been something he did. So she didn't know when it was read because when we saw Eve's phone, it said delivered. So that usually indicates that your read receipts are off. So I guess there's that. But yeah, that's my revelation that Nico was so done with his wife that he did not (laughs) ever check the messages thread and probably that added to his death because had he checked it he at least would have been like something's weird going on who the fuck is trying to get me <laughs> together with eve it's gotta be the 12 or maybe he just would have jumped to villanelle which also would be a very smart guess
0: all right so our next revelation is a killing eve q a that was done with uh o mcdonald they basically have a quick session with him much like they did with uh Sean delaney where, you know, you just kind of get a rundown of what the, what the actor has been going through as far as his process. And I guess ultimately how he felt about what went down in the episodes. So the initial question is, what are your thoughts on what we pick up with Nico in series three? And the first answer is, I'm glad he didn't just bounce back from what happened to him at the end of season two. I think it's really interesting that he does suffer so badly. Villanelle had been almost an abstract up to that point, but then to be present at the violence of one of her kills, and for her to be someone that he knew and someone <laughs> that he had a relationship with Mikael. was massive. <laughs> the ghost of Mikael. that's the ghost of Gemma, guys. If you don't know who that is, that's that's Jemma's ghost. Uh, while it traumatizes him, it also gives him the impetus he needs to finally say to Eve. I need to go on my own way and try and reimagine my life and mm. see what's possible. <laughs> if it is possible to have a life again, the only <laughs> poor Nico, <laughs> right? The is only any, way is they it could even do that, possible, Eve? The only way they could do that is by him removing himself from her orbit entirely. And I agreed. I agreed. And the next question to Owen is: Even in series one, there seems to be a disconnect between Eve and Nico. It made me wonder how a teacher and an am MI six agent even got together in the first place. when diving into Nico's character, were you given a sense of his backstory from the writers or is that something you created as an actor? Uh, his response uh, myself and Sandra worked on it together and it's interesting that you say that Tim and Sandra, oh with this you know it's interesting. I like that. I like that they both do that. We keep saying when we started theirs is a relationship that's two people and they love each other and they're there for each other but they're at a stage in their relationship where they're just missing each other slightly on a day-to-day level. Mm. They're just not quite as in sync as they once were. And that's the point where a relationship can turn and crumble, or it's the point in a relationship where you go, hang on, we didn't used to be like this. We used to have more of the fun that we only suddenly have now. Why don't we work on this? And that was just at the point where Villanelle came into their lives uh, but the idea of how they met, yeah, we had a backstory for that uh, because he's a bridge teacher <laughs> uh, that came across clear, clear as day. Uh, she ended up coming to the bridge club and he chatted her up and they hit it off. Ooh, I just have to interrupt <laughs> you and say this is
1: why Nico never stood a chance. And, you know, of course, that's great to find out what actors workshop with each other and what they talk about is backstories that they can lean upon as creatives going into the repertoire of stuff. I just that is the most mundane meaning I could ever think of. There's nothing even cliche about it. <laughs> like it's so basic and horrible that Nico never stood a chance next to Villanelle. There's not even the enemies to lovers trope where I've totally gone out with people that in that initial meeting you are like, you know, what? I think I hate you. <laughs> I think we have nothing in common. And then like a week or two later, you're like, oh, that was sapphic tension. It was sapphic tension. And actually something is happening here. So I just wanted to point out that that (laughs) boring story, that boring, like that's the kind of story no one wants to hear. How did you two meet? Honestly, it's best if I keep this shit to myself because it's boring as fuck. We were at bridge and I was like, hey, and that's it. That was the end. That was that's how easy it was to get Eve Palastri. Holy shit. Why is she playing so hard to get with Villanelle? Whatever. I'm going to save all my thoughts for the muse. I just wanted to give my two cents about Owen revealing the mysterious backstory of how did even Nico meet? The worst part. Oh,
0: and, right. And there's more. There's also a whole backstory about his parents and why they moved from Poland to England in the 70s. That means that when Nico went to Poland, he didn't go to find mom and He went there to find himself, literally. No, but I think he says later in the interview, too, that he's returning to
1: his family. That, to me, that sounds like what you would expect. Like my parents. You lose leave a country young to have a different life in another country and then your kids may be like, well, I would like to reconnect with this part of life that is more connected to my parents because they have a, a foundation there, a childhood. And so he's trying to reconnect with his Polish roots and quite frankly, he was probably hoping that there were less assassins over there and there were. <laughs> there
0: were up until Eve
1: kept harassing him. So it, it makes sense. Where else is there to go? And actually, I would also say that the there seems to be an overall theme of home, the idea of home, the concept of home what is home in this season
0: so it makes sense home is where the hiccups (laughs) and let's see uh next question for owen let's talk a little about poland this season really dives into themes of home and family for many characters oh and he says it right there we even end episode four with villanelle arriving at home as well why do you think it was also important to show nico's journey home and what was that like to shoot his response. It was brilliant to shoot. We actually shot in Romania in a place called Viscri, which is a World Heritage site. It's a Saxon village that was basically on its own for 900 years in the middle of Transylvania. It was an incredible place to visit. I think what Suzanne really wanted to explore this season is why these characters are the way they are. For Nico, I think there's a lot of weight attached to Poland because it wasn't really accessible to him when he was growing up. But it's where his mother is from. It's his mother's home village that he goes back to. Uh, to him, I think it's an idealized place where he could lead a simple life. I think he See, thinks that... that sense. yeah, that makes sense. That really
1: does. I think Some he thinks- simple shit. He's like, where well, there are no sapphic assassins to get me.
0: Uh, Let's see, I think he thinks that through leading a simple life, he could discover some level of happiness. So I think that's why he went. I also find it very interesting that when I meet a new friend and then I meet their families, it tells me an awful lot about why they are the way they are. I think bringing the characters to their respective homes does the same for viewers watching the show. Next question. At his core, Nico really seems to be an affable, positive person. We do see some of those sensibilities come back in Series 3. Is it that his treatment has actually worked or is it that he's gotten as far away as physically possible from the world that he's come to hate? His response, I think it's the latter to be honest. Nico's constantly being reminded of his horrible experience by Eve's behavior. She's trying to be good, trying to be there for him, but he knows she's acting this way because of her guilt. I think the treatment he's getting isn't really helping, not when she's still visiting him. So he just needs to go. I don't think he's better. I think he's putting on a brave face if you look mm. closely you'll still see the sadness just, in his eyes He
1: just returned to brushing his fucking <laughs> hair eve and this is what you do
0: he's trying to find out if he could be a person again you spend so long being identified by your relationship mm. but when you're no longer with that person how do you feel how do you find yourself again i just
1: this deep into Nico's fucking motivation and his neuroses. I love when actors do this. Just in general. Just that, like, you had five lines on a page, but you have a whole thesis and mini novel about what your character is doing, did do, and might want to do in the future. I just love it.
0: So much of his life is spent trying to keep her happy. Making her happy made him happy. And when you take that away, what are you left with? Uh, next question, how does it feel to be one of the only characters to have stood up to Villanelle and lived to tell the tale? He's pretty blunt with her about his feelings toward her in series two, and he walks out of the situation. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, his response? Yeah, he does. Uh, <laughs> I think he's fully cognizant of the fact that he only gets out of it because, as, he's, as she says, if I hurt you, Eve would never forgive me. I don't think it's something he's proud of. I don't think he says, well, she didn't kill me. Certainly when we get to the end of episode four and he's got the pitchfork sticking out of his neck, I wouldn't imagine he's feeling incredibly proud of himself. Uh, but I suppose in retrospect, if he ever does get to have a retrospect, he may look back <laughs> oh, and think. Oh, sweetie. Yeah, you One know what? One of the
1: fans of um, Nico Hive will do it. Kind of like what we <laughs> sure saw for will. Felix. Here no, last Felix. He lasted 10 minutes in an episode.
0: Right. Wow. Felix um. got a, you know what? Uh, let's see missing you felix <laughs> <laughs> let's see but it, yeah if he have, does have a retrospect he yo may the look way your accents be
1: flipping they always take me all the way out sir
0: mean <laughs> in a good way they may look back and think yeah you know what it's okay i held her up against the wall by the throat and i'm still alive you would only ever allow yourself to have that thought if you knew she was definitely dead Uh, Next question is, (laughs) what did you think when you first read that brutal scene at the end of episode four? His response, first thought, is that it? Am I I dead? And then I thought, it's a brilliant scene. You have this reunion from Eve's side. She's playing a completely different scene. She's going, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I've made such a mistake. I've sacrificed everything for you. And he's going, what the fuck are you doing here? Uh, before they have a chance to clarify the mistake that has been made, bam, it's a pitchfork in the neck. Uh, there are so many different ways it, it could go, but it definitely goes in a direction that neither of them would have suspected. Yeah,
1: definitely a direction, a Dasha direction. Definitely a Dasha direction. That only direction. the audience expected.
0: And the last question, uh, you said in other interviews that sans mustache fans <laughs> rarely recognize you as Nico. Do you enjoy flying under the radar like that? Has it led to any fun fan Yo, interactions? Yo, that stash is so identifiable. <laughs> <laughs> this response took me out. He says, It's led to an interesting interaction with one of the directors from the season one when I first met him at an award show. I said, Hey, John, good to see you. And he went, Hi, I'm John East. Lovely to meet you. And I was like, Wow! I his Nico. own employer. Was like, you Who are you? Directed me in three episodes.
1: Actually, that's great for him that his stash <laughs> changes his face that much.
0: Wow. He was like, Oh my god, really?
1: <laughs> but actually, it makes sense because facial hair is man makeup. So uh, yes, yes, you do change. I mean, look at Drake
0: yeah. without a beard. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> Lord. He says, So, yeah, so not the mustache. I do get away with a lot. When the show was first airing over here, I would go to the table, I would go to the tube and listen to people discussing the show. Hmm. A lot of people were talking about it, and I would listen with complete anim- anonymity, which was really nice. You have to resist the temptation to chip in because if people don't recognize you, you're you're just some crazy man coming up during the conversation, <laughs> which doesn't stand That's well in true. Central London. Well, I don't know if it stands well anywhere. <laughs> Owen, but. if you guys are looking to ask more questions too, Owen oh, McDonald, he is having an "Ask Me Anything" uh, on Reddit. Which will take place uh next, I believe, next Sunday. But let me get the date for sure. Here we are. Ask me anything. With Owen McDonald will appear May nineteenth. I was about to say it was a Sunday, but I would imagine it's a Monday or a Tuesday, given when the UK
1: airs their episode. But men, i know The nineteenth
0: is a Tuesday. Oh
1: cool well i you know i'm happy he's gonna be talking to folks and stuff and i'm always like what what are people gonna say although like i said to you earlier you should ask how many toasts that nico oh i'm definitely nibbled that. On <laughs> in his mind to stay alive in that storage unit all right let me move on to my next revelation which is gonna be short and sweet because there's much to muse about in the thing and this revelation is partly within a muse as well Okay, um, so well, yeah, maybe this already this song gives away what the revelation is about, like the tune, if you know what it is. But yeah, so this is a quick revelation, really, because we're gonna be musing about this lady a little bit later. But we weren't sure, um, you know, what the, the character's name was of the lady in red, played by French actress Camille Cottin. But we have recently learned that her name is Helene. Helene, who steps on your neck with her red pumps, and you're like, yes, Helene, do it again. again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I get out of control when I think about the lady in red and something's wrong with me. I need to get some control in my life, but as I indicated in the last episode, you guys, I don't have any. Uh, She appeared on screen. She served what she served, which was BDE and misandry, and I'm lost. I'm singing like this dude. lady in red is dancing with me. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my God! That's, I know I'm ridiculous, you guys. And look at these—look at the images flashing in this horrible—that's right PowerPoint presentation. It, it, I mean, it is a bad presentation. <laughs> it's right it's just like women with Getty images with with, with ribbon, and you're like, right. whoa. And right. it's weirdly giving like the, killing the the e vibes cards, a little bit. Right. But don't say title card. We had a title oh, card one time, and it was a blood trip This is the teasers. Yeah, we didn't get no top 10 cards. So guys, Lady and Red, Red. may you live on to season four. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, I can't deal with these images. I gotta stop this fucking shit. but yeah, guys, that is the revelation that Camille Cottin is playing the lady in red, a.k.a. Helene, badass bitch of the 12. And until they tell me otherwise, leader, leader of the 12, at least leader of a division of the 12, of the European division, of the get the murderous women on the same page division, whatever. But she is definitely a fucking leader. Oh, and this last bit of revelation for Camille Cotin is that I believe I mentioned it earlier, is that she is currently in another role and very well known in France, where she is, I believe, playing some kind of agent. But she is playing a fucking lesbian on this TV show on air, I believe, in France right now. If not, I know someone said it was on Netflix. Die it looks like, or Call My Agent, I believe, is the English title but yeah if you're wondering will i be checking out camille as sappho moves through her in this french role yes yes i you would will. be right
0: <laughs> all right it looks like there's another revelation here all of eve's confessions were about villanelle they were
1: It's not a revelation to me, but to someone who maybe hadn't thought about it. But I feel like with what our core listener base is that they definitely noticed it. I'm hoping that's absolutely true.
0: Whether it was someone, whether it was a psychopath, it was always Villanelle. Every confession situationally is about Villanelle. Even
1: if it doesn't directly say, oh, this assassin. What
0: was the list of things she confessed? <laughs> her first reveal is, I was unfaithful to my husband. I put him in so much danger that he ended up in a psych ward due to his PTSD. Right. That was indeed her first confession. Her second confession was, I left the man to die so I could save a psychopath.
1: Are you sure? it yeah. Wasn't I stabbed someone?
0: I stabbed someone. Should have been the second one. <laughs> You're Her second one was, I stabbed someone. And then her third. You stabbed your girlfriend, girl. Is, Hmm. I left a man to die so I could save a psychopath. Yeah.
1: All three about your girl. Oh, Eve. Is there anything else you want to add about this particular revelation?
0: Oh, I mean, I'm happy that it is a revelation in case it needed the additional clarity for those who weren't clued in when it happened. I was also waiting for just this deeper reveal that I was like, well, no, they're getting too comfortable. So I guess that's why they had to pull back on to be like, well, you know what? They're not buddies. They're not pals. They're just. Well, it could also be indicative of where Eve is in terms of what
1: she is ready to admit to herself. So this is already growth in my mind because she's admitting I was unfaithful because last season, I don't think we could've got that shit out of that bitch that she would admit that she was being an unfaithful wife because regardless of whether or not she told Martin, are you guys in a relationship? Define relationship, are you having sex No. (laughs) No. So they were having an emotional relationship without a doubt and then we crossed over into the physical for sure, for sure, a number of times when she was hopping knobs, but definitely after Italy. And so I feel like, and I hope, that this is Eve showing how much more comfortable she is with the truth that she's accepting about herself. So she's like, okay, here's the truth about, I was unfaithful. Yes. I was into this bitch and I did cheat on my man and the fact that she was in my life led to him having PTSD. And then the next thing, like, okay, mm, that was the beginning of my story. And then I I stabbed the same bitch. I I did, Mm -hmm. I stabbed her. Mm -hmm. I have conflicting emotions, I realized. And that's the fucking problem. And then of course, what happened at the end of series two where she's like, I left someone to die. I made that choice. Which is interesting that the phrase choices, it's all about choices, Eve appears here, because she is very specific about the choices she made. And we knew she stood there, she looked at Hugo and she had a choice, do I save Villanelle? do I save my co-worker? And they say Hugo lived, but that was a choice. She was like, I can ensure you live or my girl lives and I choose my girl who is a psychopath according to everyone else. So <laughs> the fact that she did not say she killed a man yet goes with my Dark Eve Rising because I feel like I will, I hope anyways, but I also feel like I will get a very specific scene, a very deliberate scene that is acted superbly by Sandra Oh to show me the full acceptance of hopefully her murder jaunt of Dark Eve Rising, that this is the last piece Admitting that she killed a man, because if she said that to Jamie, she might have to say, or he might be curious about, well, how did you feel about it? And if she's honest to that point, maybe it gets really bad. It gets really scary. It gets really disturbing for someone else because you, I hear myself going into one of my muses, but don't, don't go there, Candace, Leave it as a surprise. So I would say that right now, what I'm going to take it as is an indication of where she is in her journey of acceptance of what the real her is. And as I've maintained since series one, Killing Eve is about the killing of Eve Polastri, the good person. Eve Palastri, the normal person, Eve Palastri, the MI5 agent who just wants to live a, a typical life with her stashed husband and killing that person to get to Dark Eve Rising and whoever the fuck that's going to be. Working with the 12 or working against the 12 is going to be something.
0: I agree. It is going to be something. I don't know if this means that Eve is going to be more forthcoming with um, people as far as what is true to herself. Maybe her saying it out loud was some form of catharsis. Catholicism, but I don't I mean I don't see her as like answering to someone like a Paul or a Carolyn about her feelings like I think those are just be- not
1: answering just acknowledging and accepting moving out of denial into proactive admittance
0: okay yeah stuff yeah yeah, I'm on board with that.
1: Cool. So let me go to my last revelation here. And its is it really a revelation? I feel like I'm always coming around to these things, but there are people out there, there are people out there still trying to rationalize why Villanelle and Eve shouldn't be a thing because of the toxicity. The toxicity. Are they? Are they a healthy queer couple? Are they? Should you structure your relationship around what Villanelle and Eve do? No! So, of course, my answer to this revelation is who gives a flying fuck? Some of y'all, some of y'all out there apparently do, but I just want to reiterate that Candace does not. I don't know why this keeps coming up, although I do because there are different rules for het relationships there are for queer relationships. Apparently the moral compass needs to exist for queer relationships, which is interesting since most queer media that is made for queer people to digest, but it's actually for straight people, shows the perpetually self-loathing queer, the perpetually injured and harmed queer And so I'm just trying to find out how you got two bitches in their power, but it's toxic. I would argue that the plethora of films that come out that focus on the self-loathing queer, on the repressed queer that is now acting out badly, those, those are, those, those... Potentially are now more damaging than these Agreed. types of varied content pieces because what is the deal? Don't we deserve varied, interesting fictional content? Right, like
0: uh, range. We deserve range in our love stories. We we deserve range in our stories general. Like it don't don't even always have to be love stories, but we need to be fleshed out. More ways but it's not even one. just about
1: fleshed out. Queer people can be bad. Queer people can be toxic. Queer people can be killers. And so it's fucking fine if you can't hold Villanelle and Eve up as a paragon of what you should motherfucking reach for. Like this is the goddamn L word and Tina and Beth, And you're like, well, are they the perfect? No, if you're looking for PTA meetings and someone who bakes cookies, that is never our girls. It will never be our girls. But if you're out here looking for some badass, misandry bitches that gonna do what they want to do, Killing Eve is a show for you. And I want to mention real quick, I don't know if anyone has seen this film. If you haven't, uh, I fast forward a minute or so because I'm hit a spoiler. It was a horror film that I saw recently that surprisingly enough was more misandry than I expected because Ooh. I was not aware that it would have a queer undertone to it. That caught me by surprise, which is great and it was very gory but like artistically gory and atypical with how it did its horror. I always prefer, especially these days, to watch horror films that have a woman protagonist as the doer of sadism because Ah. I just have a personal threshold of what I can take from male sadism. I've hit the bar. I've hit my limit. I've been alive too long. I've seen too many films, seen too many things where I'm like, literally, I'm not here for it. I'm not. I can't do it. I check out. I will walk out. That's what's happening. So if I'm going to take some depravity on a woman's body, I can handle it from another woman. And that's what was in this film. And what was interesting about this, or how I would compare it to villain. in this sense is that ultimately there's a character obsessed with her youth, her beauty. And she ultimately has this skin disease that leads to like a flaking and a dying of skin. It kind of looks like really, 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 really dry, flaky, bad psoriasis. And she ultimately ends up figuring out and she's doing this experiment thing that reveals itself with further plot twists with this woman and she realizes that she can get rid of her skin. She can essentially cut, peel off her skin and replace it with the skin of somebody else. So that's part of the aspect of the horror gore is that she finds other women, she stalks them, she gets them home and she cuts off their skin in these filmed sequences that are ridiculous. And so ultimately in this storyline, a queer relationship develops and by this time, Shorty has gone all the way to the bitter end. She has skinned multiple people. She's accepted that this is her new way of life. This is what has to happen. but she's now in this relationship where she loves this girl and there's a moment where essentially the the girl's like look I understand that you are it seems almost like a vampire definitely a murderer definitely scary but I don't care let's just be together let's just be together and at the end of this film spoiler spoiler one of the girls decides that she's gonna be the moral compass and be like I can't let you kill when the perfect ending to that film given what happened is if the girl was like okay as long as you don't peel my skin, as long as we never get to that part where right. you're going to peel me, so I good. can deal with your very specific misandry. Maybe request that you only cut the skin of men. I don't know. I just feel like they could have compromised on this film. But just the idea of two people who are inherently toxic in how they express most of their behavior, but within the duo is a real connection, loyalty, love dedication even though the framework is fucked up and twisted Wonky, yeah, that what yeah. is what the connection is is real and i feel like people are confusing villeneuve with another film that has some toxicity and queerness Together and uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it. Maybe you have if you're a fan of Kate Blanchett or Dame Judi Dench. But it's Notes on a Scandal. Now I don't know if you guys have seen Notes on a Scandal. If you've seen that monologue between the wonderful Kate Blanchett and Dame Dench just before she goes outside to meet the press. But it is a fantastic monologue. If you're wondering how to have I done it at parties with friends? Yes, just along with my Juliette Moore monologues. I have so many I can do. <laughs> Jolie, just like angry queer monologues. I got that shit. And I want to play it really quickly just because I want to relive that but also show you the difference between a queer character who is fixating on someone and that fixation of love and lust is not returned. And that would be of course Dame Dench's character. Well maybe not of course because I remember what I oh wait no this is not the Gentleman Jack crack podcast where I made those jokes about um Dame Captain oh, Dench. Wait, yes. <laughs> That I was a swear whole my other...
0: fealty yes. I remember both Captain I Black was Captain. simply
1: talking about women <laughs> in the military with power and just, you know, just 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 right. <laughs> get myself together. All right. So let me pull up this scene. And this is when the character Kate Blanchett plays figures out that this woman actually has sapphic feelings for her. And she's been doing she's been acting out. Her queer repression has shown itself in the worst ways in this film. That I'd be happier without them. Mm. Why did you do it? Oh, oh she I hit the dame with a slap. Watch her. Oh, she, she said with the back slap. Take some responsibility. I gave you exactly what you wanted oh? you'd still be stuck in that marriage without me mm. what you can't accept it yet You think I you wanted to be here with you you need me I'm your friend you've put
0: me in prison. I could get two years They'll fly by I'll visit you every week. We've so much life to live together
1: mm. You think this is a love affair? Why <laughs> <A> things <relationship? laughs> do
0: like that what well, sticky gold stars and then a, and a, and a strand of my hair
1: and a receipt from pizza express it's a flat in the archway road and you think of virginia freaking wall
0: oh <laughs> my god you no this
1: monologue is brilliant. With some special fucking Don't you know it's rude to read a person's diary it's <laughs> private companions we're not Friends, you don't even like me. That's not true. I only have tender feelings for you. Only love. No. Ooh, she just do Judy. Oh. Fucking, fucking mad. You don't know how to love. You have never, your whole life. Me, Jennifer Dodd. You're nothing but waste and disappointment.
0: You uh, uh, You're the greatest
1: actress again. You're only for a reason. They loathed you at school, all of them. I was the idiot who bothered, but only because no one told me you're a fucking vampire. So what is it, Barbara? You want to roll around the floor like lovers? <sighs> you want to fuck me, Marlborough? Please don't right, diminish right, uh, our... What? What? No, give it back. i I know you. Selfish and vain, you think you have a divine right. <clears throat> you don't belong in the world, you belong here. You big baby! <laughs> Yo, when she calls the dame a fucking virgin, I am, woo, A lonely virgin. And here she received, here three. I am. And that's that same um, what do you call it, Julianne Moore, when she's at the pharmacy and Magnolia, she's like, you would to call me lady? I There's something about unhinged woman, just because society always demands that women are so in place, put together with their hair and their attitudes and whatever, that I just love when thespians stick their foot in it like the dame and Kate Blanchett did in this Ooh. scene because it was outrageous and so i just i love this monologue but this is the opposite of villain eve which is maybe what some people see that villanelle is dame dench that she is creepy and doing things that are not wanted and completely misreading cues but that's not what's happening it's literally the opposite of that and with everything that we've gotten on killing eve to confirm the mutual attraction not to mention our kiss um that we got two weeks ago, I just think it's interesting that people are confused about why an Eve Palastri would want a Villanelle. And I would also argue that a lot of heads that would just describe themselves as heads would become heteroflexible if a person like Villanelle that looked like a Villanelle came up to them and had some level of confidence to be like, yo, are we doing this? So, yeah, that's my revelation that people are still trying to rationalize this as if it's a fucking real relationship that perhaps should be held to some sort of Moral standard of, hey, are you being abused? Hey, is this healthy for you? But this is a fictional reality in which these women, in their toxicity, in my opinion, are equally, equally matched.
0: I just wish I lived in the world where the others seem to live, where they're like, you know what? There's a plethora of gay love stories, and I need at least one of them to be pure as the driven snow. And this does not satisfy my peers, the driven snow quota. So, and I'm already over inundated with, um, toxic, hetero and homo stories. Well, I think
1: it depends on the perspective because I just think if you're queer and you have that perspective, you need to slow down and get off the moral soapbox a little bit. If you're het, that's something else entirely. And, you know, I've analyzed many times with friends discussing things about films is that I don't know if the het audience at large has realized their obsession, their preoccupation, and some would say obsession, with showing sad queer stories that perhaps the Ah. majority het audience is more comfortable with unhappy queers because if you're being rejected if you're repressed, if you're not getting what you want if you fucking die, that plays into what probably a lot of het people think about being queer, that it is somehow a less than experience, so if you have a narrative that plays into the less than, it works, if you have a narrative that plays into the fun the things that, you know, queer people within the genre the genre, the acronym would say oh, we have the most fun, and perhaps that's biased but it's still what we think <laughs> but it's not represented on screen we have the hillary swank films we have you know the boys don't cry we have the motherfucking what was that one with matthew mcconaughey he won an oscar for it the oh, yeah, Buyers club. club we yeah.
0: get broke bad mountain well i mean i feel like you're you're hitting you're hitting all the hits
1: or even Moonlight, where Moonlight has some uplifting stuff, but a lot of it's very tragic. And so I just think a lot of these films play into what people expect. To be queer, it's it's hard. It's hard. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of strife. Your parents are going to kick you out. People going to hate you. People going to try to change you. And so we got to make this whole film about you getting to a place of loving yourself as an individual and then being rejected later on or killed by this. And so that's that's actually where I'm at with this is that I don't know that people ultimately understand how it works. Even when we see commentary that says, how could Eve do this? Why would Eve want a kiss feeling now? And I'm like, but have you seen her face? And did you hear what right. she said? Like, is it? Do basic superficial aesthetics, have they just gone out the window and explaining why people feel
0: attraction? I just, they just I am so lost. They finisoles. lose the concept of attraction once it's no longer hat. Like, again, it's that weird 93% filter that they can't see. So 93% of the Oh my God, I just flirting. thought the kids are all
1: right. Isn't that another tragic one? It's just oh, like sad ooh, about lesbians oh. divorcing and one of them starts dating a man or something like that. And I'm like, but is she a les? <laughs> <laughs> just queer let's just go with that oh my god i just thought of loving annabelle you know what? i'm gonna go You're through at me. loving I'm annabelle like because she Amy. she gets with the teacher she gets with the teacher and of course right after they have the sex they are exposed by her weird i think potentially did some child abuse aunt who I, uh, there was yeah there was weird levels there chloe with julianne moore and what's the blonde from um mama mia
0: oh I'll, no that's not her um i was about to say kate again it's not kate she was in
1: jennifer's body it's gonna come back to me
0: amanda seyfried there we go
1: is another one of those i would put to the thing think about pariah important black film but also just not happily ever after not even close with the queer stories
0: yeah i'm definitely noticing this trend of just being woeful like wow
1: It's just a fucking lot. So I just, I will always have these things and I really feel like these things should be discussed because a lot of people do things because of their subconscious mind, their subconscious thoughts because they've never challenged or questioned why they think something. And so I would just encourage the hets that are out there that wish to make queer content or involve queer people, just maybe sit down and ask yourself why you wanted to tell that particular story. What about it compelled you to need to tell the story? What about it interested you? What about it connected to your emotional reality that you said, okay, I got to make this. Consider why you maybe chose that story. Just because I, you know, I feel like the gay bees especially are ready for some new shit that isn't just Freeform. And yay, yay, yay. So happy Freeform exists for the gay bees. Doing
0: the Lord's work, but God. Um, I don't know, maybe consider an intimacy coordinator?
1: But intimacy coordinators can't change your script. That so is... intimacy Oof. coordinators show you how to Oof. fuck so you don't look like a dick in trying to say, I'm having lesbian sex. And actually, this takes me back to one of my favorite random scenes in The L Word, even though in this season a lot of people hated Jenny and, I mean, I didn't. I thought she was funny. But she was, <laughs> she had gotten to the point in her storyline where she was directing her film that she wrote, which was basically ghosting her actual life and everyone in it. And she's doing her auditions with presumably head actors and they, you know, they got to kiss and do stuff. And she's like, what is that? <laughs> like, is that, like her, her level of zero fucks and zero time for head shenanigans. She's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? That's not how, that's not how women have sex. Do you even know what you're doing? And the actor's are literally like, no, because we're straight. We've never actually had sex with a woman. Um, and she's like, oh, pause. So we need to have gay class, gay class time. Let's do that. So that was the concept of intimacy coordinators before they actually existed to be used on sets like Gentleman Jack for instance but yeah
0: does that wrap up revelations for us
1: unless you have any more that was the end of mine is that the real alternate to Villeneuve is notes on a scandal and we are so we are so because <laughs> Eve Eve only got slapped when Villanelle was trying to calm her down from the Aaron Peel stuff which I didn't love but that was the one slap Kate Blanchett hit Judy Dench like four times and I'm glad oh, both yeah. them bitches was in it because she was like take this slap take this back slap take this thing over your head and most of that looked like it was a one take because there weren't cutaways and I just any I can see somebody especially a woman deliver a monologue that's definitely at least three pages long and she's just in it she's hitting every beat just give her all the stuff all the stuff but yes that is the end of my
0: revelations for this week well y'all know what that means that means that we are now in the musings
1: hmm well hmm Musings. Any thoughts?
0: Ponderings. Any feelings? (laughs) Wonderings. All right. So I guess I'll start off musings. Uh, Don't want to start off strong and then fizzle out afterwards. Or do I want to sprinkle in the beginning and then flourish in the after? Decisions. Decisions. Is this a two part
1: muse? Well, because maybe you, you should break it in two and I'll stick one of my muses in there. Or is it just like one of your ridiculous muses that has no beginning and no end? It's just, it just Yes, is. you know, I my Lord. musings
0: are always just art.
1: No, I see it notes and I'm just like, yo, <laughs> yes. put this in the MoMA because it makes no
0: sense. Right, 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 <laughs> right, right. Something to look at. So I will. All right. This is where I'm going to start this ride and we will see where this all goes. <clears throat> oh, dear. Here we go. All right. So. Um, we have been taking, literally, this threat that Raymond made in regards to Eve and Nell, and that everything that they loved was going to perish. Since then, we have been waiting for the Twelve to come into Eve's life and fuck it up. Aside from the Dasha hit this episode, most of mm-hmm. Eve's ghostries have been self-inflicted. Uh, could this mean that the Twelve isn't as gung-ho to kill her as Raymond would have led them to believe? In fact, when Constantine laughs at Villanelle about Raymond being assigned to her early Series 2, he knows how Raymond is used to put failures out to pasture, so to speak, meaning that Raymond was not considered a prime asset handler or primarily used as one, you know, debatable, but someone who cruel, who crudely made problems go away. Uh, so where is this going? Let's see. If, what if they had issues with their crude cleaner? What if they had issues with their watchers? I doubt a watcher could live life as a former Twelve associate, uh, so they would expect the burn. What if a Helene would assign them an impossible task and the stakes are raised? Like, like you failed, like you failed at a, a mission from the Twelve. It's strike one. Your next assignment is out of your home country so you've been reassigned and you are now notice. and then strike two might be you no longer get to call us we will call you and you better answer when we do mm. um and there is no strike three so someone comes to offer you a job but you are the job and that's just how you get taken out anton being sent if we maintain that he was in the 12 when he was sent uh by like a helene Um, what if, let's see, let me re, all right. Anton being sent, if we maintain that he was in the 12 and the 12 sent him like a Helene would, and she sat back to observe what a Villanelle would do. A Raymond would have been sent to (laughs) intercept with intel on her new obsession with Eve, but a Helena would have anticipated Raymond failing and took notes on the level up. They probably got an office pool on where the Eve levels up again before they face Dasha, Also by her design. Uh, So ultimately this muse would be um, the interpretation of like how certain emperors have beasts for gladiators to attempt to conquer in the Mm Colosseum that Villanelle is actually still in the role of the centurion with Eve as her beast. (laughs) Wow. What the fuck? I I feel like there was a question
1: earlier in the muse, but you went so wild and crazy. I I don't know what it was anymore to answer it. It was one of the early on questions you asked was something about like Something, Ooh, do. Something, something about do with Raymond right. or whatever.
0: Well, uh, yeah, I believe I was somewhere along the lines of uh, what if they had issues with their watchers? What if they had issues with their keepers? Like what, what? But would who's they just say? I'm a- so
1: lost and amused because I remember you saying something about Raymond. It was... Killing Eve not as important maybe that's what it was. Oh, but then you said so many other random earlier. things. I don't know.
0: All right, up top here, I well I, I
1: can muse on that bit part, and I would say that there are other plans for Eve Polastri that are more complicated than what has been revealed. And so, even though Raymond might have been under the impression that Eve was dispensable when he first showed up in Rome, maybe the events of what happens with Villanelle and how connected she is has has changed how the Twelve sees. Eve Palastri. I think they will eventually try to employ that hoe, but we'll we'll see. We'll see. (laughs) But yeah, that was the one thing you said that I was like, oh, I think I can add something to that. But the rest was just like a zigzag board of, wow. (laughs)
0: it's just ultimately that the 12 as neat and as clean as they function there's no real way that anyone gets terminated if like there's an issue like someone would just be sent to kill whoever needs to die but depending on how far up they are maybe they would know that a certain method of death is coming so maybe they have to change up how then that death is issued by then giving them the syspian task or whatever it is your next assignment is out of your home country like you you did something that was disappointing you now can't go back home because you're now on assignment away away somewhere far. And then like the next communication will let you know what they need you to do from where you are. And maybe who's the person sent to deliver that communication to you is actually the person who was sent to kill you. So you're waiting to receive the next note, but the note is like goodbye or whatever it is. You're just dead. Mm.
1: All right. Well, uh, Mr. Palastri, as usual, I am confounded and amazed (laughs) by your muse. All right. Let me go to one of my dozen muses today. All right. Oh, okay. So this actually ties into a few listener questions. And I think I mostly have them in Feral Fandom Fridays after these initial musings or Gaeo Cadeo. But it has to do with Villanelle listening to music now and people wondering what does this mean? What might this mean about how she's evolving as a person, as a character and her connection to Eve? And people generally asking, Candace, have you noticed this? Candace What did you think of it? What do you think it means? So, yes, I have noticed it. I think I've mostly made statements joking about Villanelle's hips not having the rhythm and they were lying and then the hips not lying after she found out Eve was alive and we actually see her do a diddy, a dance, making the cake, which she was completely incapable of doing at her own wedding, at her own wedding, while poor Maria struggled (laughs) to get something going. So, of course, the first knowledge we ever get of Villanelle and her relationship to music is in series one when Sebastian... Sebastian and asks Villanelle what kind of music she likes, and she tells him national anthems. And he's like, you're weird,
0: but you're so cute that I,
1: okay, I'm going to go with it.
0: Speaking of cute, you see those yams? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, she was looking at that woman's face, not her yams. But yes, she did eye spy a curly-haired bitch and turn her head. And he was like, oh, do you know her? She was like, no, no, I'm just <laughs> queer. That's all this is. <laughs> and then, of course, in series two, in episode three, I want to say when... Eve and Villanelle share the door-o's that after, after the door-o and Constantine successfully is able to whisk Villanelle away into the car, she is singing Roxette song, Listen to Your Heart, Aww. all loud and annoying to Constantine, who quickly bursts her gay bubble, and then she's salty and wants to turn it off. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no I, li- I like this song. I want to keep it on." Turn
0: the shit off.
1: <laughs> and then we get to episode four of series three when she is baking her cake listening to unknown and uncredited song by Killing Eve. And I just wish you guys would do something about that. I wish you would make it easier for us to find the musical sources you put in your episode. But at this point, we literally have Villanelle with headphones. We've never seen his bitch with a piece of headphone. According to what they've shown us, she has not cared about having a pair of beats by Drake this entire time. But suddenly, Eve is back in her life, as post being in love, and she is actually listening to music while making a cake. And then, of course, when we see her in the final scene of episode four. She's arriving back into Mother Rosha with some headphones as well. So it seems to me that Villanelle is now using music the way most people use music, which is to express yourself or get out some sort of feeling, revel in some sort of feeling, drown in a feeling that the music helps you establish. And I think that this is indicative of her character evolving. I think that this is indicative of her feeling, and I believe I said in the last. Snack or recap that I would compare Villanelle prior to Eve as being lonely, but she perceived it as boredom. And when you don't have something to compare something to, then it can just be boredom. But now that Eve has been something in her life and has shown her this void that she couldn't quite name or pin down or understand. She is looking for ways to experience and deal with her feelings. And one of the easiest ways to deal with our fails is fucking music. There's a song out there to help oh, yeah. us feel anything and everything. And so to me, this is just something positive about Villanelle. This is something that is excellent about how they're choosing to evolve her. As we've talked extensively in series two in the postseason snacks, that whether or not someone's on the psychopathic or sociopathic spectrum does not mean they're without feeling, that they're without capability. To feel love or dedication or monogamy, all these things, they're capable of stuff. It's just probably just like, you know, really, 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 really tiny percentage, like point zero 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 six percent that Villanelle will do this with somebody. But Eve is that percentage, you guys. And so, yes, to answer that query and to be on the muse is that I, I do feel like this is representative of her evolution of her connection to Eve and how she is beginning to understand it and hopefully hopefully giving into those parts that would make her ultimately more vulnerable person in an effort to win Eve over in terms of trusting her because I still think that is the major obstacle for them is that when Eve went with her to the ruins after the Raymond situation that she had implicit trust in Villanelle she was like we were on the same page we are doing the same things and the gun just completely fucked her up and what Villanelle she needs did. to do and I will also talk about this in another musing but what she needs to do is convince Eve properly properly Without her bullshit, without her sarcasm, that she is about about it and for real. But yeah, that is that is ultimately the end of my muse. There is that. Yes, I do believe that it's indicative of Villanelle's growth as a person, her growth emotionally, and deliberate by the writers. Until of course they tell us, no, Candace, clownery, clown makeup. I think it's a deliberate choice by the.
0: I like it, but creatives, I like it. Period. I like it. We'll see if music becomes more integral, especially episode five, which looks. Like, it's going to be a whole lot of things. I would also like to bring up the one time music was also um, around Villanelle, uh, selected by Villanelle, uh, that was missing from the timeline, but didn't really, really, really need to be there. But it was her when she dressed up as uh, Constantine to say happy birthday and danced around with all the balloons in in her villa. I liked that whole getup.
1: I'm not sure what the composition was, but it might have been an old Russian folk song that they identified in some articles way back in 2018, more than likely, when they were talking about the killer soundtrack and especially Unloved was essentially debut to everybody. Oh, yeah. It was something they added to her character because she was into anthems. That's something a little bit atypical for someone her age, like this orchestra piece. That is old and Russian. Presumably she heard it while she was a child and was into it. But yeah, so that is the end of that muse. Continued use of music and expression I see as happening further in this series and probably right next in the next episode because of all the implications of Elton John being a thing that these people she'll be visiting whether they're her real family or not are going to be into so i assume we will see some singing some dancing who knows it'll definitely be manic panic but it should be interesting
0: can't wait can't wait all right and then my final music from this episode um has to do with our fallen uh mustachioed gentleman uh nico you know the guy who finally said yes to himself only to be taken out of the paint by the end um it was a capture shot I believe I saw on Reddit of Nico screensaver. It was of Isaac Newton, um, who, you know, as a, a man of science who also had an interesting uh, relationship with apples, much like Eve does, which is maybe that's what, no Let's hope that that's not what got them going on at the bridge uh, situation. Mm -hmm. Let's hope not. We don't know. I'm not going to make it any more obvious other than he was a boy and and she was a girl. And that just worked out that way for them. Um, I ultimately just feel like Nico as a character, the way even the way he described himself in the interviews, was that he wasn't equipped. He wasn't the licensed therapist that would have been needed to deal with Eve. He lacked the range, and by the time he made the active choice to choose himself over Eve, it was unfortunately too late. Uh, he tossed his hands in the air and not had he tossed his hands in the air and not invited her with him to the school, and just soaked up all the Gemma, uh Eve would have uh been none the wiser because she didn't even know the whole uh, conference was happening anyway. Like that true. was that was him trying to get her into his stuff to make her interested in the things that he's got going on because. He's important, too. I mean, he is. He is. Uh, but the fact that uh, he stuck around and kept hurting Eve may have actually prolonged his life. You know, had he made a clean break in series two and just was like, fuck this apology omelet, i moved on. on. Um, we could have spared so much. Uh, we would have been spared Eve on her knees. Uh, we would have mm-hmm. been like, maybe she would have found out. Maybe she would have found her hand when the roses came.
1: One could only hope.
0: Um, maybe she would have said yes to Alaska. And yes, maybe we wouldn't exactly have the exact Dark Eve that we have now. But the 12 would have caught up to the two of them. It wouldn't have been Constantine to find them because Eve and Villanelle would have taken them out on site. But more than likely, Helena, the Lady in Red, <laughs> fighting off the two of them for the, dual, for the purpose of dual subjugation in an action sequence that... I can't wait to be filmed because it just looks beautiful and amazing in my Mm -hmm.
1: head.
0: So, yes, that uh, music was about uh, the rise and fall Uh, for Nico. (laughs) Uh, Sound like the Killing Eve account that was trolling earlier today where they were like, he
1: rises. And it was the picture of Nico at the barn with the door. And then it was like he falls and it was him (laughs) with the pitchfork (laughs) in his neck. And I said, wow, I'm so glad I was right that you guys have been trolling us the entire preseason and season because they definitely, definitely have. All right. So I guess I'm on to one of my next of many musings, which is a basic question. I've had my own questions about this. I've seen some fandom rumblings and grumblings about whether or not this is true. But this musing is about whether or not Villanelle's family is actually her family or are they actors paid by Constantine? So I'll let you go first. Since you are out, you are completely out of musings. I am completely you're, you're out of out. musings. You're
0: out. Empty. So, yeah. um... It does look like maybe they are being more dramatic than they should be. But again, I really have nothing to base Will Nell's expected family on. Do I have a vision myself of the family she should be uh, looking to lock arms into? I think that she's just looking to be, be able to fit in a box of puzzle pieces. And so maybe this family is not going to be well put together and that she's just going to try to see where. She could, and she's a blender, so she's gonna just see where she could blend for the time that she's Villanelle? around. Yes, for it's the like time you haven't, haven't seen the preview. The yeah, around.
1: the preview looks like Villanelle blending. That's exactly what it looks like. So Villanelle blending as she tosses the dung, the cow dung, the farthest. <laughs> she's blending in Pinner. <laughs> but anyway, this is your muse, I should know you going be on your pilastry bullshit. So go ahead. Yeah, And uh, ultimately,
0: I don't know if it'll matter if they're her true blood or not, because I don't think she's going to choose to stay. Mostly because she's going to listen to her heart. So best of luck to all those people. I hope you all do survive the episode. Uh, And and, um, I guess I'll say that if you are family, then you're not going to be significant. But if you're not family then that might make things spicy then then things people may not survive so that'll Mm. be what i'll say so i'll lean more on the family quote unquote not surviving if they're not actually actual lineage
1: all right well i would argue that the family will not survive regardless of whether or not they are blood or actors because that's That's essentially my muse. Is that I don't know that Villanelle's family is real. They could be. I have said that they would have to retcon, especially if there's a mother figure there. They would have to retcon what they've already said in series one and make sense of it for people like me who look at too many details of her father's an alcoholic, her mother is dead, and no mention of siblings to, oh, here's three, three siblings, four siblings, however many is in a preview. So as of right now, I'm leaning more towards paid actor. I'm leaning more towards fake. I believe Constantine is on his full clownery bullshit. And it all happened way too fast for him to find Villanelle's everything. And so I think there's a high possibility that it's not what she thinks and that Villanelle is either aware of this And she's so preoccupied with wanting to experience certain things that she allows herself the space to experience and have fun and fully revel. And then she kills them all at the end. And if they are her actual family members and she doesn't kill them, Dasha will or someone from the 12 because she's not supposed to be in Russia. She's not supposed to be doing anything like that. Of course, she's not following the rules. And she hasn't fully learned that not following the rules has really serious consequences for you from the 12 because she's consistently not followed their rules and she's still alive. She still has stuff. So that's sort of where I shake out on that is that I'm not entirely sure. I definitely do not think everything is as it appears to be where Villanelle is concerned and her family members and where her curiosities are. I know from what they said in the articles that Devastation happens to both Villanelle and Eve, and we've sort of seen Eve's major devastation, that what's left for Villanelle, except for what's coming up in episode five, which is the devastating fact of, is Constantine a liar? Is he manipulator? Has he preyed upon your intense need and vulnerability here, where your family is concerned, to trick you, to... Manipulate you once again to doing stuff you want, and then is the actual truth that your family is dead, actually? And so all this hope that you had in a moment is bullshit? Or is it your family, actually, and you decide that they're useless or purposeless? And that in and of itself is a type of devastation to Villanelle because maybe she learns that she was never that prized possession that she hopes, Mm -hmm. probably, that she was based on the baby, the bin baby, that she hung out with for at least a day. You guys can't convince me she didn't hang out with that baby for a day because she changed her clothes and she was talking to the baby like they had multiple conversations. Now, we could argue all day about whether or not the baby really understood Villanelle. I'm just going to say, when she was like, stop it, I don't like that. The baby kind of did. Kind of did. And again, she had to change her clothes. So that means she took the baby to her crib, looked at the baby, talked to the baby, probably gave the baby a snack. Whether or not the baby could chew it, that's something else entirely. And all the way to Dasha being like, wow, wow, wow. Two days later, how? You still got this baby? Something is really (laughs) wrong with you. So, yeah, I, I, I'm I not altogether sold on what's happening with this family storyline. I just know that it's not going to end well for our girl, which makes me preemptively sad because she looks so happy to be experiencing stuff that feels normal to her. And we've known for the past series that Villanelle is very preoccupied with normalcy and what she perceives that to be and wanting to have it with someone, ideally Eve. So if there's just disappointment in Pinner, um, that's bad. That's sad, but ultimately good because it will push Villanelle further into the arms of her lady love. Eve, just like Nico's death, is doing for Eve Palastri. So, yeah. That is the end of that muse. So my next muse here is about Dasha. And the muse is, is Dasha's note of, quote, still got it for Eve or for Villanelle?
0: Mm, I'm gonna say that eve's of course gonna see it and she's gonna definitely interpret it correctly once she stops the world from spinning and ringing and being in slow motion but she's gonna know because this is the trail that she was on and she's gonna put it together that this is the this is the culprit from the unsolved murder case the cold case from almost 30, 40 years ago.
1: (laughs) Doesn't she have to connect Dasha to the 12 first before she makes the leap that the random person who killed her man was Dasha?
0: Oh, whether or not uh, Eve knows that Dasha is part of the 12 as the killer is its own thing. I think that she's going to be able to connect Dasha to the powder kill.
1: So what's the answer? Is the note that Dasha wrote just for Eve to see or for Villanelle? That's the muse.
0: Well, I know that Eve's going to definitely be able to interpret it. Um... Villanelle would have to get to Poland. And I don't think that she was told to go to Poland. (sighs) Hmm. Maybe someone else ultimately will get the note. So like maybe Eve is supposed to receive it and then pass on this message? It's literally
1: in Nico's neck. I'm trying to figure out who else will get that note. (laughs) Besides the person who buries Mr. Plastry with his babushka. If Eve presumably eventually walks up to the body, which eventually she must, while waiting for the one horse and buggy person to come out and retrieve the body. She has to, here's a, here's a note. Here it is. Let me read it. So my whole thing is about whether or not Dasha's intent is for, of the words, is that for Eve or is that for Villanelle?
0: The message. I, the sass reads like it's to Villanelle for when she eventually hears about the note. But the note, Villanelle's not in Poland. So I'm going to so say are Eve. you going to
1: answer this question or not?
0: I'm going to say Eve. Thanks.
1: Thank you. That's really where I was trying to get. Fantastic. Um, As for my answer, I say, I say, perhaps for both. And this could be something that the writers did that was very clever wordplay. Because on one hand, I can look at it as an answer to Villanelle's paprika kill, in which we see her say out loud, untouchable. And so she obviously does that to let Dasha know, like, what you did, like, those skills aren't actually skills, ma'am. And anyone could pour dust onto somebody's face. And so in my mind, I'm like, the still God, it feels like it's to Villanelle. It feels like that ultimately that cheekiness is to her and it could be to Eve. And certainly it seems like the audience is meant to maybe read it that way, at least until we get answers. But when I thought about it, I was like, but still got what? She never lost anything. And so if Villanelle was trying to imply to Eve, still got it, still what? So got the murder? The murder ability? Of course. Eve was never unsure of her losing it, especially with the paprika murder. That to me, it becomes less likely That this is what's happening. And I'm curious about what they might reveal about Dasha and what her ultimate goals are because Lady in Red told her to handle it, but not to kill Pilastri, presumably Eve, and she kills Nico. But with leaving such a cheeky note or note at all, why? father unless maybe she has her own chaotic energy well she definitely has her own chaotic energy going on but we just don't know how it's going to play out with how she wants to provoke Villanelle Villanelle doesn't have to go to Poland in my mind to find out Nico's dead there's news stories literally the news And also people like Constantine who have been informing her every step of the way about what Eve Pilastri is doing. So I would think if she doesn't just hear about it because of something else, Constantine will inform her, oh, you know, Eve, Eve's, Eve's husband is dead and she blames you. Or something in effect, <laughs> or be careful. Don't go to London though, because she blames you. And of course, Villanelle will be there in the next few hours to be right. like, "I'm here pursuing."
0: Uh, do you think uh, Nico's phone will be found on Nico? I
1: don't think it matters, but potentially, maybe Dasha took it. Maybe she left it. I don't think Dasha is covering her tracks like that. Maybe she doesn't think it's necessary. And certainly, there is no clues as to who sent the text just by looking at his phone. But it may give hopefully some knowledge to eve but again if she doesn't if she really thinks that was nico it's because she's in denial about life and she needs to fucking get clear about what's actually happening and what she has caused and chosen but yeah that is my thing on that is that i don't really know it feels like it's more for villanelle it feels like it's bitchy it's a call out and of course maybe on the surface designed to confuse eve but i would maintain there's enough stuff not happening with that kill that eve with her sixth murder sense of her of her bae would be like, well, this just doesn't feel like Villanelle. And I'm sure Jamie and Bear and Dredd and everyone else would be like, what did you just feel like it's all evidence. She's like, I don't want to have to explain my sapphic connection to you. I'm just saying it doesn't feel like her. I feel like I would know intrinsically without a doubt that this was her and I don't feel that which gives me pause as to what's happening. And also, I don't know, Raymond just popped into my head one more time about what could happen to the people I know and love. So it could be that.
0: Eve, by the way, have you seen what happened to our petty cash?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that whole thing?
0: I just traveled to Poland with it. When will you be reimbursing it, Eve? (laughs) Never. Because I'm poor. (laughs) Can't you say I'm a grieving woman? My husband is dead. No, oh, Lord. <laughs> she gets to. She I would gets be to like. Well, your Anna. husband
1: wouldn't be dead if you never stole the petty cash to go to Poland in the first place, lady. But Eve does not want to hear that. All right, so let's move on here to another muse that was also mentioned in a number of queries from listeners, and it's about Villanelle appearing to. Touch her neck at the moment of Nico's demise or just as the moment that she arrives in Russia? What does this potentially mean about their connection,
0: if anything? I thought when I saw her touch her neck that she had um a less aggressive hiccup because it wasn't like zoomed in on her to see it. When she was in the cable car. So she, it was a, audible and loud, and you saw her body heave when she hiccuped. When the woman hugged her in the garden, um, her her mark for the episode, um, again, you saw her body and you heard, thanks to the Foley, shout out to the Foley team, you heard the. Shout out to the hiccup. fucking
1: Foley for real.
0: And I'm thinking because the train or uh, the, the large vehicle that went past, that we couldn't hear the hiccup because of all the noise, but she still gestured to her throat to be like, "Wow, this is, this is still persistent. Like, whether it's happening one, once every th- three hours or whatever it is, it's 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 there." She's like, "Wow, this is, she's I guess this is something newer for her." She's like, "I'm I'm surprised I'm still dealing with this." Mm. So that was me and what I took from her touching her her throat. All right. Well,
1: yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. I. I'm always going to love surreal elements when they exist in shows because it's totally subjective and up to what you feel, usually. Unless the writer-director is like, no, this is exactly what it's supposed to be. But then kind of removes the subjectivity and abstractness of surrealism if you dial in specifically what it's supposed to mean. Then is it really surreal? So I think that I've, I've seen some of the takes about, oh, is it about Nico? And some of these things have tied into what hiccups can mean in a superstitious way for Russians in particular. A lot of different cultures have lore or superstitions related to hiccups. What do they mean? What do they imply? And I believe for Russians and Romanians, the common thought is that it means that someone is talking about you or thinking about you negatively or positively. Perhaps some would consider it a bad omen. really depends on what section you are in the lore. So I've seen one person's take that was essentially like, oh... Notice how it happened right when Nico died. And I'm like, I think that, I think, first of all, given how this episode was edited, y'all, you can't say anything that's happened at the same time. Like, <laughs> right. Villanelle could have been getting off the trade at the exact time Nico got forked, or she could have got off the trade later that day or that morning. We don't know. Because guess what? The title cards didn't say Russia, 8 15 a.m. Right. or p.m. It just said Villanelle or home. And so I think that's a little far. And also, for people who think that, for the people who were in the sort of conversation of, oh, maybe Maybe Eve was thinking about Villanelle because of what the hiccup superstition is. And then when Nico died, she stopped thinking about Villanelle. I would say that makes literally no sense because Villanelle has not had hiccups this entire time. So for the show to suddenly be like Villanelle is being thought of by Eve. Now she has a hiccup. I just I think, think about that that's- all the time. <laughs> Well, I'm just saying that it wouldn't really make sense for what they've established because the characters have been thinking about each other almost consistently for all series, so that wouldn't hit it, which is why I wouldn't assume it has anything to do with Eve at all. I think the only thing that has something to do with Eve, which is part of another mini-muse, which is is the turtleneck that she wears to go home. Eve is the turtleneck queen. We find out (laughs) from Helene, Lady in Red, that everybody knows that Eve loves a good turtleneck, and so I would say that that aspect of Villanelle's attire is more sentimental than her hiccups. I, If we're going to go with what Russians say, superstition-wise about hiccups, uh, the furthest way I could go is that Villanelle's family is a plant. It's a fake, and she was nervous to meet them, which is why she got the hiccups as soon as she saw the photo. But the minute she arrived in Russia, it's artifice and they disappear. So that is my overreaching estimation of the hiccups, that it's representative of just falsehood that she's gonna go there looking for something that she's definitely not gonna find and I hope I'm wrong in a certain sense which I mean Dasha takes her family out but at the same time I just I find it hard to believe that they're gonna do this with Villanelle or add this kind of depth when they've always maintained the show creators that you don't need to explain a Villanelle totally to have her behavior and Jodie Comer has said in a number of interviews that she feels like Villanelle just is this way she was born this way and this is how she is and so there's only so much they could attempt to do in episode 5 to explain Villanelle and perhaps ultimately they won't and it'll be something else entirely.
0: I like I like how you attribute the I guess her not knowing what she's going to expect how it could potentially be fake. As well, that's the, the thing, though. If it is
1: fake, part of me part of me thinks she already knows that. But she is going through with the game the way that Villanelle does because she likes to do play. She likes to perform. She likes to experience and learn. And so she could be going through with this despite knowing in the back of her head that Constantine is full of shit because she just wants to experience what it will be. And at the end of it, she kills them mm. all, burns the house down. Or maybe they are real and she kills them anyway. I'm just saying that I do not believe they're being completely forthcoming with what Villanelle's thoughts are on this in what we've seen. I just, I don't. My current train of thought is that that's not what's happening.
0: Okay, I can get on board with what you're saying like it. Well, who
1: knows? Could be clownery. But, yeah, so I don't know if this means anything about the connection with Nico or Eve. I I think it has to do with family in particular. But we shall see. And that kind of ties into the next mini-muse, which was does Villanelle wear the turtleneck to feel closer to Eve and or normalcy? My short answer is yes. Yes, she does wear it to feel closer to Eve and normalcy and potentially her home. Her home symbolically actually is Eve, but let me not get on that
0: (laughs) rant. I think a turtleneck is a great way to hang on to a So you can spritz in the turtleneck and then have it. What closed.
1: the fuck is Villanelle spritzing to remind her of Eve? Unless it's a scent of trash. What I'm is so it?
0: angry. At no, this but I'm literally asking you. Of trash. Uh, the oh, only no. other option
1: is La Villanelle, but I doubt it's that shit. So no, I don't.
0: I, well, you this... know those gag
1: things, those <laughs> those gag gifts. It smells like. Ah, I yes, yeah. <laughs> I don't think Villanelle like, wearing wearing. Ooh, a fart vapor. A I know what you're talking gift. about. I know. Exactly. I remember these little
0: stick bombs. What's going yeah. on? Exactly. So this muse was asking if Villanelle is wearing the turtleneck so that she can to be, feel closer to Eve to feel closer and to
1: or Eve. normalcy. What and that is.
0: I like her in the turtleneck. I will say normalcy. I don't know about Eve, but I will say definitely normalcy. And yes, we know that um, Helena tells. Dasha that yes, Eve is essentially turtleneck. That's who she is. Uh, so Uh her it most just... popular piece of wear <laughs> I
1: imagine most of the photos they got of her the satellite photos especially of the ruins she was in a turtleneck they were like they have all the shots <laughs> Then breaking into the ruins of Eve busting the door the whole fight the spaghetti right. thing and so there's probably the most amount of screenshots from the ruins and so she has seen <laughs> 85 photos she's like you know the tur- the uh, bleeding woman with the turtleneck think about how often <laughs> Helene would have complained about the turtleneck as they're going through the slide like is she still in this is she still in the turtleneck God.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I would love to imagine that Helena in Hurst and her level that they had the meetings and the discussions in regards to the caper that was Rome versus like someone showing Villanelle images or her needing to be reminded of what took place in Rome. I feel like she was like open chapter, closed chapter and Villanelle moved on. I mean, I like her in this turtleneck. I want to say it's more about looking normal versus being closer to Eve. But I'm not saying it's not impossible. I'm just saying I like the idea of it more Open to interpretation because unless
1: someone says in a wardrobe, it's it's
0: what you want it to be.
1: And so you're saying closer to normalcy. I'm saying both because why not? But generally, normal blending in not Molly Goddard dresses is what she was going for. Just blending in what a theoretically normal person would wear visiting their family. I mean, even a backpack, because <laughs> it's different from the tote she had when she was in an orange, uh, when she was in a flower dress and stuff. And so I've always felt like Villanelle puts on outfits like characters. It's to help create things. And even if you take what Jody has said in a number of her interviews about, and not just Jody Sally and other people, that Villanelle is this character she's created. And Oksana is the feral creature underneath. And so every time Villanelle puts on an outfit, she's also putting on a persona. She's putting on whatever she wants to feel, whatever she wants to represent. And so different from the young mother a tote bag that she had when she was in Barcelona, she's giving off child. And that, that's not to say that every time you have a book bag, you are giving off adolescence. But just the most frequently you are. are. Seen with a book bag is in your adolescence when you go into school, you got something in a backpack, and of course, adults will use backpacks and other things and briefcases. I'm just saying, wardrobe rise, a backpack is not what you think of to say, Okay, this is how you define adulthood is that you have a backpack on. So, I just think she's putting on a character, and the character is daughter. I'm going in Mm. this character, and we'll see what happens. And this character will wear turtlenecks and book bags. Steel toe boots <laughs> that I have not yet identified to know what they are, but they look cute. And I'm not really a low top type of person for anything, but I was curious about those steel toes just because you can kick a bitch. You can kick a bitch with some steel toes and I, I like to always have a pair just in case masandry strikes. Well, I'm out in the streets of New York trying to defend some woman. All right. So
0: that is the end of that muse. I randomly got this idea of random masandry. I just, it's a great way to just mentally just drift away, but it was nice no it was nice it, it's always good to it have was, random thoughts of misandry it was the steel toe boots but it was also the, the metal bat <laughs> oh dear so my harlequin misandry mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. indeed
1: okay so this next muse involves Jamie Jamie tells Eve that it's all about choices And it seems that she chooses to go to Nico because she's trying to choose what she perceives to be the good thing or the right thing. Um, But the very act of the decision, which is inherently a selfish one, in my opinion, decides his fate. Theoretically, had she done the non-selfish thing and left him alone, he'd be alive. Ultimately, will this guilt weigh heavily and or serve to free her into the darkness? Hashtag the rising.
0: (laughs) I would love to have this be what brings her down love but i feel like she's gonna be too wrapped in solving and then blaming who committed said murder to uh focus on internalizing the fact that this was of her creation had she not caught that flight had she not replied to the text messages had she not hearted that selfie or whatever had she not then there would still be a living nico and i think that trail of thoughts she won't pay attention to at all
1: hmm Interesting. So you're essentially saying that she, that there will be no guilt weighing on her. Is that what you're saying?
0: Right. Because she's going to put the onus on the person who, pierced the neck versus the fact that she stole money and flew I feel
1: like she could but to me that feels like more like series two Eve that is blaming everyone else for what's happening around her when she actively engaged in everything and that's what was promising to me about her scene with Jamie is that she was actively acknowledging her the role she took of her own provocation to do something similar to what Carolyn said at the end of series two where she was like but you You brought you here. You decided what got you here. I didn't do anything. I just watched you and gave you resources. And so in my mind, Eve can't rise to Dark Eve until she's fully in her truth of I decided all of this. Yes, I agree It wasn't someone just saying this is happening to you and you're going over here to the left. You chose to go left when you could have went right. At every interval where you claim you're doing something ethical, you were actually doing something selfish and completely self-involved. And I hope, my hope is with Dark Eve rising is that she sees that this was another aspect of her selfishness. I mean, we talked about it in the recap. There's no fucking way that if you love someone. I mean, what's that old fucking adage? If you love someone, let them go. go. And if they love you, they'll come back for show. And so Eve (laughs) didn't give a damn about that adage, that quote, that anecdote. She didn't give a fuck. And so at some point you have to realize that you are a giant dick face. At some point you have to realize that when someone is in a mental institution and when they ignore your calls and your texts and they're like, I need space and they go so far as leaving the fucking country without telling you, even though you're legally married still, that you should take the hint and be like, "Let let me give this motherfucker some space. Let me not text him for another week and just see where he's at. Let me send a FaceTime message or a little Snapchat video that says, hey, Nico, I understand that I fucked up and I really hurt you and you're really damaged right now. And while I still want this, I want to work on this. I need you to, I love you. I care about you. So I want to prioritize you first. You let me know when you're ready to speak to me. We're definitely going to have to speak to get through the divorce. And I I realize you're trying to take space. But if you could just let me know, you know, giving him a message that isn't just like demanding things. Hello? Hello? Is this it? Because first of all, girl, that jaunt is so rude for what you did. You needed to be a little bit more sensitive, have a little bit less hubris, a little bit less jaunt in your text. Secondly, how do you... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <How>? <laughs> like she is wilding and so I just need Eve to realize that you have been a wildin' selfish show. even if it's Jamie or Carolyn that says it well if you knew what Raymond said to you in Italy why did you go Eve if they said your whole shit was gonna be in danger why did you go Eve if he said he wanted to be left alone why did you go it could be because ultimately you chose whether you want right. to admit it or not to right. end Nico because in the back of your mind consciously and subconsciously you knew that if you did
0: it was done for him so does Jamie get to scalp eve or does carolyn get to scalp eve i think
1: with how they've been going is jamie because carolyn is too busy staring at the wall
0: that is true. about her life series two <laughs> carolyn just, or series one carolyn would have definitely she would have right in between eve. well i told you to get rid of husband if like, jess was still around
1: <laughs> she would have been like oh but eve um but aren't you aren't you a dick though aren't you, right. no? aren't, you? aren't you aren't you aren't you i just flipped the switch <laughs> <laughs> exactly so, yeah, I just think it's very interesting that that phrase in the, the episode's all about choices. And we have argued since series one that Eve has deliberately chosen mm. to go down her dark path and then kind of like the cake. She chooses to do it. Then right after it's done, oh, she's like, who aw. did that? Was that me? <laughs> Why did I do that? And she needs to get past that shit. She needs to get past the immediate regret. That she feels of following her
0: her dreams, her jaunt, her her misandry. Picking at the glass at the bus stop when she just ran her whole elbow through and shattered. No, but that's what
1: I mean. That's the Eve way. She looks at the danger, at the destruction, at the bad. She does it. And then immediately after, she generally regrets it. Just like the cake. She did something extreme and rash and sudden and right after it was done, literally right after it was done, credit to Sandra Oh and her micro-acting, literally as soon as the cake left her hand, you could tell she was regretting it. And it's like, girl, you need to get yourself together, get your decisions together and commit, just commit, commit to what you were doing, which it better be hopefully Dark Eve Rising.
0: Well, here's hoping she'll, I don't know, start to pick at herself again. This season, she has yet to pick up something sharp and poke herself. That has not happened this season yet. Um, It happened in Series 1. It definitely happened in the beginning of Series 2. We are halfway through Series 3. Will this penchant return? I personally Oh, is this hope- a mini-muse? Yes. Look at you. But, if I, 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 but another mini-muse. <laughs> I never thought it would happen.
1: <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Will it return? Well, it depends. Now that you've mentioned that it hasn't happened in Series 3, I would say that Eve is more likely to poke herself, especially if we go with what many people have said who have been into these types of behaviors or kinks, is that it's something she had to do when Villanelle, or the knowledge of what Villanelle is or means to her, was further from her psyche. So she is still an MI5 agent looking at cases, and she's out here poking herself like, oh, oh, was that pain? Oh, girl, why did you (laughs) even do that? And then, of course, the beginning of series two, she just did something wild. She mm. could have got her first O, mm-hmm. her first O of mm-hmm. the ninety-three percent. But what do we say for Villanelle? It's one hundred and ten percent. That's right. A uh, chance of an O. That's right. And she was playing herself. She was like, "Oh, now I'm I'm stressed about whether or not she's dead. I'm stressed about my future. I'm stressed about wow, I just did this. What the fuck?" And she was poking herself. So I feel like Eve does that when she's trying to feel something. But right now I'm gonna go with the Eve that was with Martin, wide awake. That when she's wide awake like that, she doesn't actually have to feel the pain unless it's in her boudoir, which oh, we've we've not been right. there. Well, I, I'm i just saying, Nico didn't know how to bring the pain, but I know with Villanelle and her copious notes, her file that she's been keeping since she's been stalking Eve, she has a list of things <laughs> she's ready to try in the bedroom that she thinks is going to work. Okay, and uh, a pain with a pleasure is one of them, sir. Yes,
0: yeah, so I loved your answer. That was great. Ooh, all right.
1: Um. Okay, so this is sort of like... Yeah, this is the second to last muse. And these last three kind of sort of tie together, which really just leads to my ultimate muse, which some of you guys may have seen me on Twitter at like 5 a.m. yesterday. Well, yesterday doesn't apply because when will this be posting? But the day prior to us recording, I posted my epiphany after I had my ultimate muse strike me. And as I've said, it could be my finest clown moment ever. It's either really right or really wrong. And that's generally where I live with these musings. So keeping it-
0: That's pretty fair, yeah. It on brand for myself.
1: <laughs> (laughs) But yes, the second to last muse has to do with um, aesthetics and some things that appear in this episode that could potentially tie back to the symbolism from the teasers and that is that Dasha tied her note to the pitchfork with a red ribbon and Villanelle's hair is tied up into a braid or whatever with a red ribbon and of course we know that the red ribbon fang material is the central theme of the ladies in the teaser with an additional ribbon being used to bind their hands in BDSM style or just tying style. Um, can dream? Right. So the muse and a few listeners wrote in to also, I think it was maybe one listener that wrote in to ask about this. I don't know, but I'm sure I'll see it in the Feral Fandom Fridays section. But the muse essentially is, does the ribbon from the pitchfork note have any symbolism that is relevant to the teasers or Villanelle having the ribbon in her hair? Is any of this evocative of the lore of the Red String of Fate that is tied to Chinese lore Wherein the idea is that if you sort of like um, all these myths and ideas about how people are connected, what is a soulmate? Mm. Were you one organism that was potentially separated at the moment of creation or birth and then you spend your whole life trying to get back to your other half? There's all kinds of symbolism and things that different cultures have come up with. And in Chinese culture, there's the idea that, you know, this red string of fate ultimately ties you together and means that you are fated to... Like be together, to be married, to be soulmates, to spend your life. And so there are some people out there who have wondered about this, about what could the red string mean? What is the symbolism? And so, yeah, that's that. That is it. What do you think of the symbolism, if any, from the ribbon, the red ribbon used by Dasha to the red ribbon and Villanelle's hair, both appearing in the same episode, which is of interest, I suppose, because everything is deliberate in a show. And what does it mean? The red string of fate? Does it sound like a good theory, or are there other theories that you have your own about what the red could mean? I like Besides, that. tie me up. <laughs> <laughs> tie me up, Eve. Sorry. There's nothing Sorry, wrong with tie I me up. Problems. But
0: if Eve Flashy does see this note, she's going to hopefully automatically immediately assume that still got it has nothing to do with well, I shouldn't say her, or, or it's, it does have something to do with Villanelle, but not Villanelle. I don't want it to be one of those red herring things where she's like, oh, a pretty ribbon. Oh, who do I know that likes to kill people that I know that likes pretty things? Hopefully, like I said, she'll do something where it's like, I smelled this, it smells nothing like her, or something where it's, yeah, it's not. I'm hoping that this is not one of those kills where she's now on a false hunt again, where she's displacing responsibility, displacing uh, trust. Me thinking about the string of fate that binds or connects the two of them together, uh, it makes me think of the concept of moments. For sometimes, how people meet, where they just kind of cross paths and then they don't ever have to deal with each other again. They're not influenced, and with the concept of ribbon and for Dasha to have and Villanelle being the only two that we've seen with the red, Dasha saw Villanelle with the ribbon in her hair. No one else did. Cause if she was home and baking for Eve with it, uh, the box that uh, Eve got delivered with the cake, it wasn't tied with the red ribbon. It would have been a nice place for the ribbon, um, but it wasn't there. So there was no Villanelle giving a ribbon to Eve. Eve has not been seen with red ribbon yet. And we know that she's not going to be in episode five because it's a villanelle episode. So for us to be able to make the full connection, we'll need to see Eve with this ribbon somewhere. And it's unless we're talking about her grabbing this note and having that ribbon and maybe using that piece and tying it on herself for a reason. That's hopefully not hmm. bizarre. That's the only uh, how bizarre. It was that's a it song. Would, it how, bizarre. how bizarre? How bizarre? Sorry. <laughs> Low, 1998 97 a while ago. right a while
1: distances
0: uh but yeah that's the only way i could see the ribbon playing into anything if eve decides to tie this ribbon from this note that she's going to take from nico's uh murder weapon and then tying it on herself as some sort of never forget oh, like God. i'll never forget what happened to you nico i'll never forget that we tried to make it work Wow. Will she keep the delusion that he was seriously trying to name Um, I don't know.
1: I, I honestly don't know. I think that people believe stuff they want to believe. I believe they look for things to confirm pre-existing bias. So, again, in order for Eve to see the forest for a tree, she needs to fully go into her dark Eve and be honest with herself about her choices. So, to me, that depends on how quickly Eve evolves fully into the darkness. All right. So, I guess I'll give my take on it. Also known as the Red Thread of Fate or the red thread of marriage. But yeah, so going back to the string thing, it's interesting what you said about where you feel like the string needs to show up again in order for it to make sense. And if we go with this idea of symbolism of fate, I think it's appropriate that Dasha uses it because theoretically, without this impetus of Nico's death coming to the scene, it takes Eve a lot longer to matriculate to where she needs to be, to actually be Dark Eve Rising or to be a place where she can at least get to smash going with Villanelle because she's accepted herself. And so by Dasha tying the note with that, it could mean symbolically that she is the literal thing bringing them together. And as far as the plot goes, I don't see how that's not the case because there's all kinds of reasons for Eve to stay away from Villanelle because of what she's thinking. She's confused. We literally see her looking at the teddy bear. She's like, what do you want from me that is showing that eve doesn't know she's like do you want the oh do you want to finish me off like what do you fucking want and so this shit needs to be cleared up and it'll be cleared up a lot faster by dasha whether she intended this or not bringing the fire immediately to eve because mm. eve is going to be curious and she's eventually going to figure out, if not right away, that this wasn't Villanelle. Who is this from? Something to do with the 12. Because she is Eve and she's Dark Eve Rising, she wanted to push that man off the fucking tracks in series two, she is going to want to kill Dasha, dare I say, with her bare hands, much like she said of Villanelle, because this isn't even Bill. This isn't her best friend. This is her alleged husband, someone that she's supposed to feel something for. So she's going to feel like, ethically, logically, I should want to do something bad to this person because this is what has happened. I had to watch this. And so to me, it makes sense in that If then Suzanne has some sort of interview some weeks from now where she's like, yes, this is actually what I was thinking specifically with these red strings. (laughs) And this is what I was trying to imply that it would all sort of fit. And in terms of it being the ribbon in Villanelle's hair, it could just be as simple as the music thing that she is listening to music. She's dancing around and she is tied intrinsically to, to Eve, whether she likes it or not. She tried to rid herself of the string by shooting her in the ruins. It did not work at all. And so hopefully that means Villanelle is getting to the place where she's like, oh, I got, I just gotta be with this bitch. I don't know what's gonna happen. We might both die, but we have to be together.
0: Oh, I like it. I like it.
1: Yeah, so I don't know what that all is going to mean, you guys, but it is all very interesting. And if Suzanne and the rest of the writing squad is working with this this sort of myth, then that, is, that means nothing but good things for our girls That means that we are on the right track. We are on the right path. We are heading down the place of where we want to go. And I'm just so fucking excited. And this actually brings me to my final muse. It's really my final muse. I see this other thing like, reason's evil. No, it isn't Villanelle. But that's just like me talking to myself, (laughs) which I could mention later. But this is the final muse that ultimately connects to the string of fate or thread of fate muse and the choices muse. It's all about choices, Eve. And so I was thinking, and it really came to me in a blinding light of just killing Eve to myself. And what, what are the options that could happen in episode eight? What are the ways in which Suzanne can go to leave us on a cliffhanger, but excited and intrigued about series four? And of course, we know or we should know by now that Candace's thing that she wants is I want Thelma and Louise. I want Bonnie and Clyde, except it's Bonnie and Bonnie. Yes, and they Bonnie are and out there being gay messes, but also violent messes and doing what they choose, burning the world down and hopefully the 12 at the same time. That is ultimately what I want for Series 4 for Villanelle and Eve is just chaotic gay energy, but united, united against the others. So I was thinking to myself. Suzanne has been flipping the script quite literally on many of the perhaps pre-existing tropes, things, formulas that we are familiar with with Killing Eve. This has been the series of throw all that shit out, throw out the playbook and surprise them. And it has happened with things like credits appearing and not appearing. It has happened with types of shots. It has happened with title cards. It's happened with everything down to the meetup. Everything about the pacing, the flow. And certain things about Killing Eve have been jiggled, essentially, and perhaps not just to reinvigorate the show, but make it a little bit more, make the audience a little bit more anxious about what's to come because you feel like you're not on solid ground. Just like I was screaming in the first snack of this season where I was campaigning for Sandra Oh's Emmy for episode five. And it's like, well, look at me moving into episode four for that incredible Micro acting that she did when Nico died. Please, please, somebody, somebody pay attention to what she did in that scene. So that in mind and knowing that Suzanne has visited season one and of course season two. But she has said that she in- she studied it intensely and we can see the evidence of that as she has done a number of season one callbacks from the TP with Kenny to all kinds of stuff. Right down to Constantine being annoyed that Villanelle was imitating him. And I believe the last time we got a scene like that, where he's like, hey, don't, could you not finish what I'm saying? That's in series one in her Paris flat. And so that being said, I'm like, okay, all right, okay, Suzanne, I see you, Suzanne. What might you do in series three to throw us all off and have our mouths agape? on the floor as you give us the sapphic content and it suddenly occurred to me what it was. Now, let us first revisit a previous scene. So with Suzanne revisiting these things, what is, I mean, this is kind of rhetorical because I'm going to be answering it, but what is the most impressive, intriguing, pleasing moment of series one for you?
0: Series one. I like the conversation in the bedroom, but I also like the foley in um, Hot Medica. So Those are
1: really (laughs) different answers. I don't even know what to say.
0: Well, one's really gay and one's misandry. (laughs) This is true. And then I think about you all the time. Think about what you're wearing. Think about what you're doing.
1: Sir, can you save your ASMR for your (laughs) grubble buddy? Thank you. (laughs) All right. Yes, in fact, let us relive that... Epic scene from series one, because that is actually what I was referring to.
0: I think about you all the time. Mm. Yes. Mm.
1: I think about what you're wearing, and what you're doing, and who you're doing it with. I think about what friends you have. You do. I think about what you eat before you work, She's not what shampoo eat. you use, what happened in your family. She murdered them. I think about. Your eyes and your mouth and... Yes, we what know. That's Sappho moving someone through you. I think about what you have for breakfast, uh, I just, I just want, to know want to know everything. Tell me everything! She's like, girl, listen. I think about... I have to play this. let this line play out. I mean, I must with <laughs> <to> honest. Honestly, the, <laughs> best for you all the, bridge. the best line, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. The best line, Phoebe Waller-Bridge crafted. But yeah, okay, so that is the thing. That is the point. So in series one, this speech is what gets Villanelle like. Eve has fucked her up multiple times in series one. We can tell from Jodi's incredible acting. But visibly in this moment, as Eve is saying this to her, you can tell that it's hitting everything that she's ever wanted. It's hitting her narcissism and her ego where it's like, yeah, praise me. Yeah, tell me what's awesome about it. But then also confirming what she was curious about herself Or what is definitely an aspect of their relationship, which is the obsession, the fixation, that we are both equally thinking about the other with all these curiosities. And so in thinking about what Suzanne could do in episode eight to not only flip the narrative of what was happening, but also continue to develop Villanelle, it suddenly occurred to me where I was like, oh, my God, Villanelle can, should, and perhaps will get her own love speech that she delivers to... Eve in episode eight, a love speech of her own. And if you guys think about it, Villanelle has never been this straightforward with Eve. The closest we get to it is in the ruins where she's like, I love you. I do. Every other time she's being cheeky. She's being half serious. She's playing games. She's performing. She's testing people, but she's not being straight up. And we can say that Eve was straight up in that scene. She was a hot mess. She was like, my job is definitely gone. It's definitely gone. And the fact that you walked out of me in that one restaurant or the place we were at and you just left me there to deal with my boss, it was like, you're done. You're going home. This is the end. That she put it all out there after she trashed Villanelle's place and was like, okay, this is what I feel. So what I'm now predicting, hoping, and wanting is for Villanelle, after the developments of Pinner, whatever that episode is called, who's coming to Pinner, that's probably not right. But something like that, that she has a love speech that she delivers to Eve to effectively convince Eve that she is for real, which she failed at in series one and two.
0: That's going to be amazing.
1: I fully know this could be my peak clown makeup. I'm simply talking about my new muse about what could happen and potentially what should happen to further develop Villanelle because Suzanne and everyone else including Sally has said we are trying to fatten up Villanelle we are trying to give her emotional depth we're trying to explain her to you guys and perhaps explain this connection with Eve a way to do that in my mind is to flesh out Villanelle's understanding of love what does it mean when Eve said you don't know what that is the only response she had was I do I do. You're mine. And so she needs to come up with a better statement. She needs to come up with a better sentence to convince Eve that she knows what love is. And I think that perhaps Suzanne and her writing crew are giving Villanelle this stuff by having her seek out her family members, by having her listening to music and awaking to these things that she can perhaps alliterate to Eve. In a better way to be like, I do love you and here's how I can explain it. In a moment of seriousness, of complete transparency, perhaps similar to what Eve felt like she was getting when Villanelle was playing Billy in the NA meeting or that piece, that little piece of honesty in the safe house where she was like I'm not with them and I'm with them and Eve was with her for a second until the girls were like oh hello leaving this mini orgy because well we've been in the bathroom for 15 minutes and it's getting really awkward
0: but you know we're young and our libidos are crazy so later on tonight if you're not doing anything if you want a threepeat, I would argue that your libido
1: does not have to be crazy if you have good sex great sex with someone it creates libido a lot of times because just, you are just want it again. That girl could have not had sex with anyone for two years and she's like, I'm ready to go again, despite the physical trauma to my nethers. <laughs> despite the trauma. Because hey, we all know that that's real life. That you can have a really jaunty session of sex. You can go in. Fucking, you are doing tricks and stunts and everything. But after it's done, how you traverse the world, how you can move your flexibility, the soreness, that's something else. And if you have a knowing friend, all it takes is for two seconds of them looking at you to be like, oh, you, you had one of them sessions last night, didn't you? <laughs> well, I hope it was fun.